0: This podcast is part of the Democracy Group.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the podcast Another Way. This is Adam Eichen, the executive director of Equal Citizens. So, I've been thinking a lot about the upcoming midterms. After all, the results of will determine whether democracy reform is possible on the federal level. Will there be 50 senators willing to break the filibuster and pass the Freedom to Vote Act? Will there be enough members of the House to pass reform? I have absolutely no idea. But what I do know is that my job will change depending upon the outcome. Both the outcome of the federal elections and the outcome in the states as well. But not everybody sways with the electoral wins. And for this episode, I want to speak to somebody whose democracy work is rather impervious to election outcomes. Or perhaps a more apt way to put it is that his organization will keep the course, regardless of who's in office next year. And so my guest today is Rabbi Michael Pollack. Longtime listeners will remember him from a past season of Another Way, pre-pandemic. Really, it feels like an absolute lifetime ago. Michael is the executive director of March on Harrisburg, a Pennsylvania-based nonpartisan organization fighting to enact transformative anti-corruption initiatives. Michael is also a dear, dear friend of mine, and I often seek his advice, especially when I'm in need of some grounding. So, Michael, welcome back to the show.
0: Thank you so much for for having me back, Adam. It's good to see you. It, it is always good to talk with you. Uh, you are indeed a, a dear friend and a, uh, a great democracy warrior doing, doing great work uh, uh, pushing democracy forward. Um, so always good to be with you. Always good to talk.
1: You know, I'm excited for a good conversation, Michael. And, and to that end, you know, I have a bunch of questions for you, especially on the topic that I prefaced this episode with. But I'm actually going to change my plan, Michael. I'm going to change it slightly because one of my goals for this new season of Another Way is to move away from kind of pure policy discussions and speak a little bit more earnestly about what it's like being a democracy advocate in this moment. Um, last episode, Lessig and I spoke about the feelings of loss that we felt when we lost the Freedom to Vote Act fight, um, when it failed to pass the Senate. And so I want to ask you about fear, an emotion that we don't often talk about, or at least we don't talk about publicly. Privately, I think we do, Michael, but, but publicly we don't really like to admit uh, that we, we experience fear, And this is particularly apt because across the country, and especially in your state of Pennsylvania, an increasing number of politicians are spreading lies about election fraud and openly now, openly laying the the groundwork to undermine election results. And these anti-Democrats, small-D Democrats, are finding growing support among a mass public that is treating their lies as truth. And that's a very frightening thing. And as much as I try to publicly profess optimism, I have to admit, Michael, there are many days where that fear becomes paralyzing. And so I want to ask you, do you find it difficult to push forward in the face of of a really strong and growing anti-democratic tide? And perhaps better yet, how do you make room for that fear in your relentless pursuit of a better democracy?
0: Yeah, I think it's it's a very real fear. Um and and I think it uh I I think I use it as as fuel or at least I try to in in my most ideal day, you know, <laughs> in, in my best day, I'm I'm using it as fuel to to motivate uh me to fight for democracy because Um, You know, fascism authoritarianism doesn't creep in because people don't like democracy. It it creeps in and takes hold because people are hungry, because people are struggling, because people are are facing a bleak future. And fascism promises easy answers uh, that that. Will never help. Um, you know, it's always hate your neighbor, uh, look down on the little guy, somebody different than you is the problem, um, which is not the, the pathway to, to solving, uh, you know, the problems that are very real, which are, you know, hunger, lack of healthcare, ecological devastation, housing, jobs, um, you know, all of these things uh so you know we have to fight for something uh uh that's a a more compelling vision than than what the fascists can offer than what the authoritarian's can offer um and that more compelling vision is not the political status quo uh the you know fascism is a reaction against the the failing status quo that uh, is unable and, and unwilling to actually help people in their day-to-day lives. It's, it's unable and unwilling to to get wages up or to, uh, uh, you know, provide affordable housing or, or, you know, all sorts of things. Um, we're, we're seeing a system failure. And so uh, the rise of fascism, I, I try to take that fear and harness it in a way that uh, uh, promotes a, a vision of democracy that that's far more beautiful than what... Um, the, the fascists are pitching uh and and you know there there really is no limit to what we can do if we actually had a government of by and for the people if we actually practice democracy in, in our political world and in our economic and social life uh we could build a world of love we can build a world of beauty we can build a world where everybody is is taking you know everybody has enough a, a world of bounty um you know and that really is the mission of of humanity for quite some time now is to try to figure out uh, not just how to live together without killing each other and descending into chaos and violence and corruption and madness, but also to build a world where where uh, uh, joy and, and and beauty abound. Um, so you know we have to fight just as hard for peace as as they're fighting for for war. Um, we have to be able to wage democracy, wage peace with the same you know scale, duration, intensity as as fascists are aiming to to wage war. Um, it's, it's a challenge.
1: But Michael, I, I that's that's I, I completely agree, but I, I want to push you a little bit to to sit with that feeling publicly of of fear, because it's one thing to say use it as fuel, but but I wanna push you, Michael, I really, because I think that that many, many people, you know, who are not doing this professionally and don't have a daily outlet to fight back. I think do experience crippling fear because if we experience it and, and we have an outlet, then I think a lot of listeners who don't have that, that ready agency on a daily basis to do something about it, it, it becomes extraordinarily paralyzing. And and of course, one of the solutions to that is to open up avenues for, you know, thousands upon thousands of people to to actually have the resources and ability to fight back. But But I want to push you here to say, actually speak to me about the feeling of fear about you know do you do you have trouble getting up when you're you're in a state where the state legislature or many many members of the state house are really reactionary anti-democrats like small d Democrats. I mean, you know especially in in some of the counties that you and I have visited in our travels across Pennsylvania, um, there are many members of the Pennsylvania State House who may not really fully believe in democracy and that is scary especially as their numbers grow and i'm just wondering how you you manage that feeling because it's one thing to say you use it as fear but it's another thing to say or to, or to kind of tell me a bit about how you actually move beyond that in the moments where you're not publicly uh trying to profess strength
0: yeah um absolutely. Uh- and I chuckle at you hedging your words there around, uh, uh we have members who may not believe in democracy. We have members who do not believe in democracy. We have white supremacists in office. We have Nazis in office. I mean, this is not, you know, these are Christian nationalists who who do not believe in democracy, period, full stop. It's not a question. Uh, and it's terrifying. You're, you're absolutely right to say that it's terrifying. And and um, you're, you're right to push me on this too, because I'm definitely deflecting uh, and, and trying to just move it right back into the action frame um, and, and right back into to taking action. Because at the end of the day, that, that, that is the cure um, uh, for for fear and and depression is is action um you know a lot of the time uh if i what if i didn't have that outlet uh, i i would be far more depressed i'd be far more scared um, far more living in fear uh the 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 best antidote for me is is to organize and, and take action and and go uh, uh, speak truth to power and, and and fight for the cause, but yeah, no, I, I'm definitely afraid. Of course, of course, and there are definitely days where it's very hard to 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 keep moving uh, because of that fear. Um, because humanity, you know, it's, it's it's not great right now, but it it can get so so much worse. I mean, that this can collapse into into. Sh- sheer violence and chaos and in, in ways that uh you know we've seen through history we we know what humanity is capable of at its worst and it's it's quite bad um and it's terrifying and uh you know i think from many generations of of jewish trauma i think i definitely carry and i, I know you do as well carry a, a sense of of uh of anxiety and and uh you know keep keep our passports updated and um you know, we've, we've thought about, uh, backup plans. I mean, there's, there's no doubt because, uh, when things get bad, they can get bad really fast and, 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 uh, it's terrifying.
1: And so then what do you, what do you do with those feelings? Like, again, we're, we're not the only people who experience this. This is what a large portion of the country feel, feels, you know, polling shows that people are very worried about their democracy. So, so, you know, when when you take action, what does that mean for you? What, what does taking action mean for you? Like, concretely, what does it mean when you are feeling bad and you need to to sit with that feeling of fear, but then kind of also recognize, which I think you're totally right about, which is that things can get worse, but by no means are we doomed to, to descend into, um, you know, democratic decline, right? And, and, and ultimately, I guess that might be where where you and I draw our strength even when we're feeling kind of down about this that that ultimately knowing that the the last chapter or the next chapter rather ha- hasn't been written and and therefore we have the the ability of uh, you know collectively as as a, a polity as a people to chart our own path and that as scary as things get nothing is set in stone as you know the only thing that would be set in stone or or the only time where things become set in stone is when people Give up
0: or let the fear consume them. Absolutely right. I mean, as as Hegel said, world history is world judgment. And, and that kind of shows the dark side of history where when we do bad things, bad things happen. It's it's a pretty self-evident concept. And the flip side of that is when we do good things, good things happen. And and there there's a certain faith that uh you know, yeah, we, we can write the next chapter. Um, you know, there's there's line after line after line in the Torah that um, you know, says basically, you know, if if you do good, God will bless you for a thousand generations. You know, if you if you worship goodness, if if you if you serve each other, if you build a better world, a better world will be built. Um and and it's up to us to 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 do that. And uh yeah, it's 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 quite a task, Adam. You know, humans have been at this for some time trying to figure out how to live together without killing each other and how to build a world of beauty and, and joy and we shall get there one day.
1: Yeah, I mean I think that I I often find, you know, oftentimes I found that one of the things that keeps me going is this idea that the the book of democracy, you know, was not written in our, in our lifetime and won't won't, you know, be finished being written in our lifetime, that we're we're just, you know, one chapter in the broader story of of American democracy and and that book of democracy has been filled with very fraught times and and also times where people have push democracy forward by fighting even when things were incredibly bleak. And so, you know, that really keeps me, keeps me motivated, even when I'm feeling really, you no, know, re- very, very, fearful about the future but what, but I want I want to ask you one
0: actions, yeah sorry um yeah, sorry I didn't answer your question the, the, the actions um you know that that give me some hope um I think a lot of the hope comes from the community that you build during the actions and through the actions uh when you're organizing with other people and taking meaningful actions that are strategic that are connected to a campaign that are pushing in the right direction uh, you feel good you feel supported um you you don't let the fear paralyze you you get out of bed uh, because not just because you're fighting for the issue but also because you don't want to disappoint somebody you know you don't want john or rachel or emmy or somebody else to to wonder where you are um you want to be there for them you start fighting for the person next to you you start fighting for the people close to you Uh, you start thinking about uh, you know your own family and future generations um and, and and that motivates you to 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 stay in the action to get up on a rainy tuesday morning and go march you know 11 miles through central pennsylvania um you know so the actions that build the most community for me are, are the marches you know we just did a 33 mile march from from york to harrisburg uh the direct actions we've done as you know several dozen rounds of, of direct action with everywhere from crashing golf courses to to fundraisers and hotels to uh the, the house gallery you know the house floor um uh, the, Senate gallery, uh, offices around the We've we've been everywhere. Um and it's through that through that action, through that those campaigns that you build those bonds that that keep you going, that keep you in the fight. Um and, and you know that that that's what I think gives me the most hope and, and uh uh trust in, in in the future.
1: Yeah. No, I, I think that's right. And and you know for for our listeners like this conversation is going to pick up in terms of in terms of we're going to get into kind of specifically what Michael and March on Harrisburg do and and the actions that really give me hope and I think are I- I- incredibly effective in in, again, as I started this conversation, staying the course and putting pressure on, regardless of who's in office, and and you know serves as a model for what could be replicated in states across the country in terms of how to push back um, or or how to advance democracy, even in in a state that has many, many, many members of the state house who who may not believe in democracy. But one one thing, Michael, for you, and maybe this is a quick question: oh, democracy who don't
0: believe in okay, democracy?
1: Okay, who don't believe in democracy? You're right. I shouldn't I shouldn't hedge my words. I don't need to be civil here.
0: This is no. this is. That's another... But Back to fear, though. I think the fear that gets me the most, uh, if if I may say on this... By the way, for the listeners, this is how Adam and I generally talk in just normal conversations. We jump around from topic to topic, so I apologize for for bringing that into the podcast format. Um, But this idea of fear, I think the fear that that gets me the most, honestly, is interpersonal fear. I I do not Mm. like... Folk people I do not like confrontation I, I I don't enjoy when people are unhappy with me and are expressing their their unhappiness so for me that that's the fear that that fills me with dread that that's the fear that keeps me from not wanting to go back into the Capitol building where you know eight out of ten people there hate my guts um and, and would rather I I just you know it never came back um did i tell you that i have a new nickname now the lobbyists call me the rabid rabbi you know it's it's (laughs) like coming into the Capitol. It's like being in a middle school cafeteria where you're just the most unpopular kid for no fault of your own and you know everybody just hates you um and of course there's many legislators and staffers who support us and and uh, everybody who works there you know (laughs) that supports us um but that fear of of uh of, of of getting yelled at of of of, uh uh, and that happens very regularly because the issues that we work on are are pushing on such a button we're pushing on such a nerve that the reaction is strong and and the empire strikes back um and i'd say that probably what wears on me the most is is just getting yelled at by powerful people for doing the right thing um and and we have a phrase inside of march on harrisburg it's it's from a tv show it's uh, uh your booze mean nothing because i've seen what makes you cheer and that's kind of the attitude that we have to to uh, to use to to, to just to, you know as, as a shield of armor to to get through the day.
1: Yeah, and 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 I have to say that one of the things that you know the side of fear that I'm gl- I'm glad you brought this up that one of the sides of fear that that I wasn't even thinking of when it comes to the state of democracy is is what you just said of, of the fear of actually going outside your comfort zone to to engage in politics and it's very scary i mean it really is right it's scary for you every time you go to the you know the state house and you you won't admit it but i'm sure every time you go in and you know you're going to engage in a sit-in or you're going to go lobby somebody you've never lobbied before or somebody you have lobbied before and and go in and try and lobby someone who you know hates your guts and who's going to say no um you're a very jovial guy, Michael, but I, I know on the inside, you know, it it, it doesn't feel good. It's scary. Um, the catharsis afterwards, I think, is is what makes it worth it. And to know that you are continuing to push the ball forward despite the fear and that you're stronger than your fear. Um, but, but, you know, for our listeners, I mean— engaging in politics is really scary and and I think that that's something that isn't said enough uh, you know among people who who do this work and, and you do it every day Michael every time you go into Harrisburg you go into the city of corruption um you know you're 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 making yourself vulnerable in in the pursuit of of, of democracy um and we shouldn't we shouldn't ignore that
0: Oh, absolutely. This is something we talk about a lot within March on Harrisburg because it, it weighs on a lot of us. I mean, we're we're going in and talking to very powerful, very corrupt people who use the police as as the the line between us and them. You know, often so they're, we're forced to uh, interact with the police a whole lot. Um, and there's this logic in in Harrisburg, this prevailing logic that is just so bastardized just so wrong compared to the prevailing logic outside of the capitol building um that kind of creates this group think of corruption this culture of corruption uh which makes people feel like they're the crazy ones for being in the building challenging corruption um because everybody in the building is kind of on the same page as yeah this is this is just how things work and then when you say wait a second that's really bad there that that bribery is legal and, and unlimited. Um, they go, wait, why is that bad? That's not bad? that's good. Um, here's here why that's good. Uh, and, and you're just wading through through layers and layers of absurdity. Um, and, and one of the the uh, key parts of, of being in these fights for a long time is is having these conversations and and, and talking about it internally, you know as uh, as a group. Um, it's important.
1: Yeah, and 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 we'll get into all of that. I mean, we we've been alluding to a number of things that you've been fighting for. I mean, the the concept of bribes is is related to uh, the fact that in Pennsylvania there are no limits to the gifts that uh, people can give to members of the state house. It's an incredibly corrupt practice. It's 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 pure corruption, plain and simple, right? And so one of the things that you're fighting for, we'll talk about it, is is a, a ban on those kind of gifts, which seems logical, seems like something that everyone should agree upon. But as you said, Michael, when when the rules of the game are Agreed upon by those in it and those who benefit from from the kind of the corrupt practices. It's very hard to get through with a level of of sanity, a level of of common sense uh, in, in in a house where where everyone seems to believe that uh, the norm of of kind of unlimited gift giving, or you might call bribes, is you know where that is treated as normal. It's hard to get through to people who who benefit from that. Um, but okay, but Michael, we 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 should we should transition a bit into march on harrisburg because for for those who haven't listened to this the last episode we did which i'll link to in the show notes um i think it's pretty relevant even though it's a couple years old now um give us a sense of what march on harrisburg is we've alluded to it we've alluded to some of your tactics um marching and and engaging in direct actions like sit-ins um but but give us a sense who who are you um you know what does march on harrisburg do what are the main goals and and what what have you been doing across the state to to build a democracy movement in pennsylvania
0: Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so March on Harrisburg, we we fight for democracy. We fight against corruption here in Pennsylvania. It's one of the most corrupt states in the country. Um, we have uh, just absurd corruption, as you've been saying, unlimited gifts to legislators, uh, side jobs, uh, revolving door problem, unlimited campaign contributions, unlimited uh, uh, dark money, independent expenditures, a terrible gerrymandering problem, no ranked choice voting, closed primaries, no ballot initiative process. Uh, and, and I could go on and on with a dozen voting rights violations. That we have to, um, uh, we're very corrupt. So, march on Harrisburg. We uh, our main three tactics are lobbying, uh, marching, and nonviolent direct action. Um, we uh, are in the capital uh, quite often. You know, yeah, we, we have boots in the ground, um, uh, trying to, to make our case, uh, build coalitions inside the building, um, you know, and, and just kind of uh, shepherd our bills through the process. Uh, we, we've done uh, four. Long distance marches now. Wow, four. Um, we just did one from York to Harrisburg back in September, uh, which was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, we also do a lot of nonviolent direct action, uh, uh, many, many, many direct actions over the years. Uh, uh, targeting uh, the obstructions. Um, In Pennsylvania, our state legislature is structured in a very authoritarian way. Um, There's basically six gatekeepers that can block any bill. Uh, If any of these six people says a bill doesn't pass, it doesn't pass. Um, Even though we have 253 uh, uh, full-time legislators, uh, it's it's very uh, bottlenecked as as an institution. Uh, So our direct actions, our campaigns tend to focus on the bottlenecks. They tend to focus on the gatekeepers uh, to just move our our, our bills uh, forward one step at a time.
1: So, so what, what's an example? Let me interrupt you here. Like, so when, when you say direct action, that's a very insider type term. What are you talking about when you're talking about direct action? Give me give give us a, a a couple of your favorites because I know them. Uh I love them. Um but give me a couple, you know, dropping dollar bills on the House gallery on on members of of the State House as they're as they're voting uh as a show of of um corruption. That's one of my favorites that you've done. And that really made people angry, but it got really good press and showcased the absurdity of the gift ban. Or the absurdity of, of no gift ban that is oh yeah
0: yeah we we, we threw a uh, five hundred dollars cash down on the house floor and that that got the speaker of the house on board for the gift ban um, and then the bill moved out of committee a couple months after that um, but then the speaker of the house resigned abruptly and uh, the pandemic started and so that that bill didn't pass that session we we have two year sessions here in, in Pennsylvania um, God there's so many direct actions Adam and, and and so many of them have just been a really good time um, and and highly successful too. Uh, I, I liked, um, uh, we crashed a, a breakfast fundraiser this year. That was a fun time. Um, it was the house majority leader. Uh, he was having a breakfast fundraiser with just some of the most corrupt people in, in Pennsylvania politics. Um, and, and we went in there and uh, uh, and just kind of took over the, the room, occupied the space, made some noise, uh, tried to negotiate at first, of course, um, but he, he ran away pretty quickly and, and hid behind the omelet bar. Um, but we uh, we definitely hit him in the hit him in the pocketbook. You know, we hit him in the wallet that day uh, and and got a uh, a good response. Um, you know, uh, other ones that we've done. Um, I, I enjoyed going out to Senator Corman's golf course. That was just a beautiful day out in Center County. Um, it's the golf course where he holds all of his fundraisers. He was having a big one that day, uh, sponsored by a construction firm that had just been forced by the courts to pay tens of millions of dollars in, in stolen wages back to their employees um you know the, the real real corrupt people real, real nice people uh and, and we just crashed the, the 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 golf course we set up between two holes and uh Corman uh, stayed in in the clubhouse he didn't even come out and play that day um so he, he wasn't happy uh, uh other campaigns that we've run Mike. God, Adam. There's just been so, so, so many. I'm trying to struggle. Well,
1: I, I I I mean we 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 can bring up more as 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 the interview goes on. But the idea here, right, is that these are these are you know somewhat risky maneuvers, but they're all designed nonviolently and they're all designed to elevate the issues that the politicians try to squash. In other words, that they these politicians do everything they can to to block momentum for common sense things like a gift ban or gerrymandering reform because they know that when people learn about them, they support it, right? When the mass public hears that there are are no limits on gifts for the state, for members of the state house, they support a gift ban. And so what they do is they try to make it not newsworthy. They try to kill it as soon as it, it comes up for discussion. And so, you know, these tactics that you've You've do, you do, right, after lobbying of these long marches where you get a lot of press in every city that you walk past and, you know, these direct actions which, again, not only make, you know, members of the state house uncomfortable and, and get their lobbyists to know who you are and, you know, they also get media, media attention. And so it, it's a very successful strategy to continue to build the public case for reform in a way that I think more people could learn from who are fighting for, the issues that we care for that you know we, we have to sustain a years-long campaign for some of these things even common sense things to to really pressure these people to do the things that aren't even in their best interest in the sense of like it's in their interest to preserve a gift ban because they financially benefit from it um, and it's up to people like us to continue to fight and make them embarrassed to to keep taking or to keep preserving that corrupt loophole um, that undermines democracy
0: Right. and and um if I may uh, go biblical for a second here to to make a point um you know we were talking earlier about creating a, a better world a more beautiful world and and kind of what goes into that um and, and and one basic idea is that when when we see each other when we hear each other when we're encountered by the other uh, we want to respond with service so when you force the encounter with somebody in power and you're suffering the ideal is that you get this this humane response of of, of responsibility of sympathy um and you you know, this is a, a metaphor throughout Jewish tradition that, you know, when you see the face of the other, you're, you're ordered and and ordained to, to service. Um, and, and what corruption does is it, it it blocks us from seeing each other, it blocks us from hearing each other, it creates a bubble, it creates a dome of corruption, it creates a swamp, a culture of corruption. We have so many words for this. Uh, and, you know, there's a line in Deuteronomy, um, do not take a bribe, because a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and, and twists the words of the righteous. And so what we are living through is this, uh, this blindness, this deafness, this indifference from corrupt, a uh, corrupt, uh, corrupted political system toward uh, uh, the people. Um, and so in order to break that, we have to force the encounter. We have to be seen. We have to be heard. They have to see us in the face and go and, and think about, you know, that corrupt subsidy that they just passed instead of, you know, building more schools or hospitals. Um, they need to see the face of people who are suffering uh, and, and, and break through. Um, and it's not just you know that ideal response that we generate from um you know ideally the the house majority leader sees somebody upset about corruption and goes oh my god i had no idea this was so bad of course i'll do something Um, but what generally also happens is that people around them see uh uh, see this encounter and and respond accordingly um so you know when you're doing a direct action you're not just going after the the target the, the person who you're trying to encounter you're also going after all of their friends you're also trying to influence through the media, you know, the general public. You're, you're trying to kind of force the encounter, put the question to them, are you going to do the right thing or the wrong thing? And if they do the right thing, you celebrate, of course. And if they do the wrong thing, you make sure that that encounter is visible and that decision is visible so that people's sympathetic response jumps up, gets triggered, and, and they get involved. Um, and, and when enough people force the encounter in an organized way, uh, we, we win. It's, it's over. Right. One more point: Democracy is a perpetual encounter of, of all of us. I mean, it's it's people constantly encountering each other in a systemic way to arrive at decisions uh, that that govern us. You know that that's the essence of it. So that community organizing, that building community, that forcing encounter internally and externally, is is practicing democracy, which is what we're trying to build.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that, you know, you've long convinced me of this of, of forcing the encounter and kind of really challenging corruption head on. I think that that's, um, you know, and again, that, uh, you know, bringing it back to the concept of fear, it's, it's very scary to do that. It's scary to to look into the eyes of corruption and, and have it stare right back at you. But, um, you know, it requires that that level of bravery.
0: What? Their booze, mean, their booze mean nothing. We've seen what makes them cheer, and a side note on what makes them cheer, if I may, um, it's it's an idol worshipping society. Um, and I'm going to go biblical here again for a minute. But you know, our our entire system is oriented toward money. It's oriented toward gold, silver, money, stock. Prices, uh, GDP—you know—figures of of wealth, of money, um, and and this is a, an old human phenomenon. But when we start worshiping money and orienting everything toward it, we we become just like it. You know, there, there's an old psalm: um, "Your idols are like gold; they they have no ears, they cannot hear; they have no eyes, they cannot see; they have no hands, they cannot feel." Those who worship them become just like them, and and that's what our society has become. It's become hardened. It's become rigid. It's become uh, stuck and stale. And, and it's, it's, it's because we're, we're worshiping idols. We're not trying to serve public services out the window. It, it's just not, ex- there's a few good ones out there, but for the most part, public services out the window, we're, we're oriented toward, toward the golden calf. Um, and, and it's, it's, it, God, it just causes so much suffering.
1: Well, I mean, this is what happens with a campaign finance system that requires, you know, members of, of the state house, or you know, I think more about members of Congress often spending, you know, up to seventy percent of their time fundraising. That when people, you know, when when the bulk of one's day as a member of Congress is spent, um, you know, thinking about w- how you can raise more money and who you can call to get money instead of actually legislating. This is, you know, this isn't about whether or not somebody's a good or bad person. This is about the system. This is about the institution of democracy that we set up. And the rules and the, and the ways in which we set it up. And, and, and that's obviously one reason why you and I care so deeply about public financing of elections is to try and change the incentives so that people are spending more time thinking about their constituents instead of, um, you know, uh, how to raise more money. And, and it changes their worldview.
0: Just, I mean, just a quick example of what you're saying from, from a few weeks ago, I was talking with somebody who was thinking about running for office uh, uh, for a state, a state rep seat um, and, and, you know, running on the Republican side. And, and he got a call from, uh, from a back man, you know, from, from a middleman um, who said, basically, I'll, I'll give you $300,000 if you're anti-union and anti-public school. Like I said, it's, I mean, that, that, that's that's the devil calling you and saying, you know, here's a deal. Um, sacrifice all of your values and, and here's enough money to run a campaign and you have a job for the rest of your life that pays pretty well and we will take care of you and make sure you never get hurt. Nobody ever seriously challenges you or, or anything. You know, you're shielded. You're, you're in the club now. Um, and, right. and this person turned down the deal. But right, the the draw of money, everything leans toward the green, every, you know, the guy with the gold makes the rules. And our whole system is oriented around that. And it's, it's terrible. Yeah, no, and
1: and when you put it like that, I mean, again, this is why, this is why fighting for democracy is so critical. This is why, you know, regardless of what, what your issue passions are, it all comes back to having a, a functional and, and, you know, fair democracy where, the rules of the game promote public service and promote kind of uh, a a kind of a raising up of all voices instead of just those who can, you know, hand you a $300,000 check. Um, Michael, I, I want to I keep going a bit on the March on Harrisburg because we could we could get uh, sidetracked all day. Um, but since we last spoke, and again, it's been a while, you know, one of your bi- – perhaps your biggest victory, you know, uh, with, with March on Harrisburg was in 2019 uh, winning a bipartisan uh, legislative achievement to expand vote by mail. And you didn't know it at the time, but this would play a huge role in having a functional democracy during the pandemic in, t- in the 2020 presidential election. Um, you know beforehand vote by mail was very restrictive Um, and you know you helped with a coalition of folks in pennsylvania to to allow for much wider use of vote by mail and and that has proven to be a game-changing reform that you guys want in pennsylvania again in a legislature that most national people would say reform is impossible because the governor is a Democrat and the state house and Senate are Republican held. So national leaders look at that and say, I'm not spending any time there because that's not fertile for reform. But you and, and your colleagues saw opportunity to actually get reform passed again in an environment where no national figure that I know would put money on, uh, invest money in, in that situation because that's just not how funding structures work in, in nonprofits. that most places have to get results immediately, and they're not going to invest in a, in a hostile, quote-unquote, place where it's going to require bipartisan compromise as opposed to kind of one-party legislation. But you guys did it, and so I'm wondering if you could quickly kind of give some sort of a synopsis of that fight because, again, it's, an, it's, it's a story that's not told, and yet it was <laughs> essential to running – the presidential election in 2020, like as as all the eyes were on the, the, the results from Pennsylvania, very few people knew that it was only a year prior that you won reform to even allow that election to take place, essentially.
0: Yeah. Can you imagine the chaos of Pennsylvania didn't have vote by mail in the twenty? No, I couldn't,
1: Michael. And that's why it still frustrates me that, you know, people just assumed that uh, this happened out of the blue. But no, like, the reason we had functional elections in 2020 in Pennsylvania was because of the work of activists in the state pushing to advance democracy.
0: Uh, absolutely, um, and, and you know this was the first electoral code rewrite since 1937. Um, this was the most substantive and, and first one, you know, since since 19. It's incredible. Um, uh, and looking back on it, uh, I'm very happy that that we were able to get it done um you know yeah it was uh pushed through with the republican legislature and signed into law by a democratic governor uh we actually pushed it through unanimously on the republican side Um we, we put in some work to make sure that the kind of the fringe right didn't uh peel off and and oppose this um and and on the democratic side uh it, we, we we got it done um we we, we got the votes we, we got i believe 60 democratic votes that, that got it over the top um and, and the governor was was happy to sign it uh, you know, there, there were champions on both sides of the aisle who really wanted to make this happen. Um, there was public pressure, there was growing, growing frustration from, um, uh, from voters and, and from election workers. Uh, the county commissioners had, had organized quite well and, and were very upset, um, and, and had a, a lot of changes that they wanted to see. Uh, and, and then there were just a couple brave people inside of the building who, who really pushed it forward, um. You know, who, uh, some of whom have, have just kind of disappeared in, into history. Uh, um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a challenge. Uh, I, I remember the day of the vote, uh, there was a lot of misinformation going around. Um, we, we had to really clear up a lot of things, especially on the Democratic side around what the bill actually did. Uh, but I, I remember we, we outperformed the governor's whip count by, by 19, um, you know, in, in, in the house, uh, that we, we did 19 votes better than, than what he thought it would be. Uh, so that, that was definitely, I I think we had about 20 people on the ground uh, the day of the vote um, and and in the days leading up, uh, just going to every single door in the building, um, keep making sure that everybody was on the same page, everybody knew what was actually in the bill, um, and and we're we're staying focused. Uh, Focus is key um, because people get distracted. Politicians are really looking for a reason to say no to most things, even things they don't understand, uh, because it's safer to say no than it is to say yes. Um, But we were really able to to kind of forge a a bit of a compromise, too. Uh, Voter ID kept coming into the conversation. We were able to really kind of tune that out and and not let that be a a sticking point, Um, kind of keeping us focused, keeping everyone focused on what people agree on rather than what they disagree on. Um, And and it's looking back on it, pretty stunning that it happened. And and one more thing that, that made it happen, too, was our direct action campaign over the gift ban bill against the the House State Government Committee chair at the time, Daryl Metcalf, which drove him off of the committee. We were able to knock him off after 10 years of, of blocking everything. Um, and that created a, a committee on the House side that was willing to to do something, um, which which led to to this.
1: And and one thing, Michael, that I think is really worth teasing out a bit is that the reason you were able to go kind of office by office to talk about this, the vote by mail uh, reform and, and actually exceed the governor's whip count um, was because you spent the previous three years fostering relationships that like one of the things that you do is you are in the statehouse, you know, once or twice a week meeting with people i mean this is the key part of march harrisburg you're lobbying anybody who will take a meeting you meet with republicans democrats anybody in the state house and so you have existing relationships with them and they may not agree with you on everything but they know your face they know you as the rabbi they know you as that guy who comes across you know who comes you know walks down the the cafeteria and, and introduces themselves or goes into the meeting and calls the assistant and, and schedules you know a one-on-one right and so you have fostered relationships with members of the state house. And and that opened up lines of communication. And in other words, that you're you're not somebody who just goes state to state, you know, a hired gun, you are in Pennsylvania, you're not leaving Pennsylvania, you, you are getting to know these people to get to know, you know, what their interests are, what what their quirks are as members of, of the state house. And and that's a very valuable skill. And it's not something that's won overnight. It's something that, um, and again, I, I'll talk to you a bit about this later in the episode about kind of, it's really deep organizing. It's, it's, it's not transactional. It's, it's, it requires a lot of patience. But again, the 2019 vote by mail reform is evidence that it, it does work.
0: Yeah absolutely um and you know we we are in the capital often forming those relationships uh pounding the pavement knocking the doors um and uh you know I, I th- God on September twelfth, when we did a, an all-out blitz that morning, we covered all two hundred and three offices in about forty-five minutes. Uh, we had about fifty or sixty people in the building, um, so it takes us forty-five minutes to do a quick round through through the whole two hundred and three member house, which is uh, pretty nice. You're you're a well-oiled
1: machine at this point when it comes to when it comes to lobbying, but that's that's what you have to do. That's what it requires.
0: To force the encounter, absolutely. Um, and, and, and again, not care if they don't like you, uh, which, which is really something I think some groups struggle with. Uh, is, is that it's okay if, if they disagree with you and if they push back, and, and even if they don't want to meet with you, um, you know, so, such is life. Uh, but you know, you have to go in, yeah. I mean, God, on September 12th, uh, when, when we tried to force that gift ban vote, um, there were four legislators, uh, in, in an elevator together, um, and, and one of them told us what the other three were saying, which was, Oh, those March on Harrisburg people are back, oh, they're so dis- Disgusting. They're just so disgusting, and you know that. That's how the the empire is going to think of you um, when, when you're trying to do the right thing. But you keep pushing, you keep pushing, and you generate the pressure, uh, and then you get things over the finish line. It, it is possible. Um, you just got to be organized and, and and pushing strategically.
1: Yeah, and and this leads me into into a question that. I think a lot about, and, and there's this wonderful book uh, by Hari Han, a uh, political scientist at Johns Hopkins, um, called How Organizations Develop Activists, and, and she writes about the difference between organizations that mobilize versus organize, and, and mobilizing to her is very transactional. It's about focusing on what are the low asks you can get people to take, um, and and basically what are the calls to action you can, you can give that are the lowest bar because people don't want to do a lot and so we're just going to ask for the bare minimum like you know calling a member of congress and that's the extent of your interaction between the organization and the volunteer but organizers according to this book actually delve deeper in their engagement with with the the broader population in in terms of Developing volunteers into leaders and building their skills and and changing their beliefs or or, or helping them find their voice in the legislative process and, and again I think about this distinction a lot especially in the wake of the failure of the Freedom to Vote Act um, because when it was all said and done Michael you know we generated a bunch of engagement right calls to senators um, you know letters you know op eds but when push came to shove and the bill was going through its final vote on the, whether or not it was, they were, were going to reform the filibuster, there were very few people who were in D.C. at that point, right? And, and if we're going to win this fight, we need a, a movement of people, right? A movement. And, and, and I think that the democracy movement has a little bit of soul-searching and, and has had to do some soul-searching in the wake of that movement. Certainly I have about, you know, what, what does organizing mean, and I think that Americans across the country believe in the reforms that we think we, we fight for, but there's a difference between belief and latent public opinion and and turning that into helping people develop the civic skills to actually fight back, to, to overcome the fear that we were talking about, to, to give people an outlet to do more than just... Sign a petition. Sign, you know, write a letter to the to the editor. right? call your member of Congress. But but something more, and and I'm wondering if you have thoughts on that because I know I know you do. I'm asking that question. I'm begging the question there. I, I know you do. We talk about it, but but it's very, you know, it's something that regardless of the issue that you're fighting for, whether it's democracy, the environment, uh, you know, food security, it doesn't matter, right? This is perpetually, this is perpetually the dilemma, or per, per, uh, perpetually one of the the challenges of collective action
0: yeah absolutely right you can't as you just said you can't be just mobilizing you have to be organizing um or else your mobilizations flame out uh, you know people can't sustain it without the organization uh it was it was sad um you know when, when the fight was happening last winter at the federal level uh and i was in dc with you you know for a day during that um there were a couple dozen people you know actually on the ground in dc that's that's embarrassing um that, that that's not a well-organized movement uh and and that, that i think that there's a lot of room for growth um and, and i'm excited for for what the national democracy movement and state-based democracy groups are are thinking about and um you know hopefully moving toward an attitude of of base building and, and leadership development uh we you know i can speak as on harrisburg we have enough leaders we are org- organized enough To push a gift ban out of committee and uh almost force a vote on the house floor and make them panic um we're organized enough to push the the voting bill uh through act 77 back in the fall of 2019. we're not organized enough to pass public campaign financing we're we're not organized enough to bring a ballot initiative process to pennsylvania yet um there's a lot of building that needs to happen we need to develop the leaders and so you know we talk about um you know, and, and just one more thought on that. It's, it's not enough to be angry. Uh, it's not enough to just say, this is what I believe, this is what I think, and kind of shout your opinion into the wind. Um, nobody cares. I mean, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be rude, but, or, but I'm just being blunt here. Uh, it's It's not going to do anything. Um, you need to organize, you need to be able to speak with a clear voice, you know, as as a as a unit um, in order to accomplish tactics that can force the encounter and and generate meaningful change. Um, so you know, we we talk about uh uh developing leaders who are uh clear, uh connected, competent, committed, and and confident. Um, we need leaders who are clear on on what we're up against. Um, and, and what we're up against is uh, is, is, is a, is a society oriented around greed, a society oriented around more money, more power, um, an economic system that, that, that functions, you know, revolves around capital and then has made the political system subservient to it, um, has realized that you can get a very good return on investment by, uh, by buying off Congress and, and passing laws that make you more money. Um, so, you know, we want people to be uh, clear on that. And there's, that's a, over generalization, of course. And there's much more to say. Um, we want you know leaders who are are committed. Uh, you know leaders who uh, you know we have internal conversations. We do uh, exercises to kind of uh, tend to your own burning bush. You know, tend to your own fire that 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 keeps you going, that animates you, that that that, that you know gets you out of bed and doesn't let fear uh, keep you down and, and keep you home.
1: But but Michael, to be to be clear here, and I think just to 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 refine the point a bit, is that you. One of the things that I am, quite frankly, very envious about, because this is not something that I have that I have very great skills about, is is you do you do a really good job as an organization delegating real meaningful responsibility to volunteers. That it's not it's not like you are asking people to just show up on one day to lobby. It's that you're giving people the opportunity to actually be leaders. And I think I think that's my that was it's really what I what I appreciate about Hari Han's book is that it's it's not just about giving people things to do. It's about developing leaders. Um, because people and I and I'm, I'm I am i am going to cop this from my my dear friend Francis Morlepae is that people want a sense of agency and meaning and power in their lives and and it's no different in your personal life versus your your public life as a, you know your political life is that people want to experience these things. They want to, you know, not wield power indiscriminately, but to to have a sense of agency and power and and meaning in one's in one's you know ability to shape the world and make the world a better place, especially when confronted with with an environment that is is fearful. And that's something that again, I, I'm I'm very envious of you from one executive director to another, because you know I I don't know if I always have the 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 confidence or the, or the you know I, I I'm you know stick with the theme fearful about delegating. Delegating is very hard, and it's very hard to put in the time and energy to to develop a real cadre of of volunteer leaders as opposed to just making asks. And so that's not to belabor the point. It's just to say that that this is this is you know something that. I would love to see more people do it, and there are there are organizations in, in the democracy movement that do this. And 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 I think there's a time and a place for transactional organizing. I, I really do. I think that that there that that or or kind of you know signing petitions, writing letters to the editor, you know, doing all this stuff is is critically important. I guess the, my point here is just that there there are two sides of of this fight, and we definitely need more people doing kind of organizing, transformative organizing to build up power?
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you need to raise up an army to, to, to fight the, the battle. You know, you, you need a team. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it really comes down to um, basic uh, democracy principles, right? If, if the idea of democracy is, is collective self-governance, um, we need to trust each other. I mean, we need to trust each other to, to make good decisions. We, we need to be able to delegate things to each other. We need to be able to trust, trust people. Well, because what we're fighting for at the end of the day is is shared responsibility. You know, is 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 the the recognition that our that our fates are intertwined. Um, and, and sometimes that can be hard for sure. Uh, but but it's essential. Um, and and the community uh, is is what sustains the the mobilizations. Uh, if you don't do the organizing, the mobilizing just disappears after a couple. You know, you can have some bright bursts, but it, it's going to flame out. Um, it's it's not going to be able to sustain itself. Uh, and and I mean we've seen what we can do with mobilizations. And the only way to increase mobilizations is, is more organizing um, and actually building that, that democracy community. Uh, it's essential.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. So Michael, I, I do need to return to the premise of the episode, which is about election season and about, you know, that you're pretty steadfast in terms of your strategy you know, you're going to keep pushing regardless of who who wins the state control of the state house, who wins the governorship um, in Pennsylvania. Um, but, I, but I do want to talk to you about what it's like organizing for democracy in this particular moment during a, a very contentious midterm season in a swing state. Um, is it hard to continue to build momentum for your legislative priorities when you uh, Everybody is focused on the national races. Um, you know, On the one hand, I can see how the midterms would bring attention to money in politics, quite frankly, and, and voter access, right? I think outside groups, Open Secrets reported that outside groups have spent well over $100 million uh, in the U.S. Uh, uh, Senate race in Pennsylvania. Um, but on the other hand... I'm sure that people find the immediacy and high-profile nature of the federal race to be far more quote-unquote important than your longer-term goals of fixing the kind of the institutional structure of elections in Pennsylvania. Um, So again, your strategy, marching, uh, lobbying, direct action, isn't going to change regardless of who is in office. If the Democrats can take control of the statehouse, you're going to do the same thing if Republicans keep control of the state house you're going to do the same thing because this is the strategy that has proven successful to you to win bipartisan results but you're still trying to organize during election season you're not making endorsements you're a nonpartisan organization you stay as far away from elections as as you can michael so you still vote. Of course you still vote. But, but what is it like organizing? What is it like being in a state where $130 million is being spent on one U.S. Senate race?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, as. As the status quo falls apart, as as suffering increases, as people's problems don't get solved and continue to get worse, you know, as our collective problems just deteriorate, uh, the theater has to get better. Um, the, the sideshow has to improve, and and we really are seeing some of the best theater we've we've seen in, in, in U.S. political history. Uh, I mean, you know, here in Pennsylvania, we have a, a, a wrestling uh, a villain. You know, John Fetterman looks like uh, the, the the bad guy in, in WWE uh, up against a, a, a TV charlatan I mean you know up against a, a fake doctor uh it's it's incredible I mean you, it's it's good casting I guess you know the character development is is spot on um the the script uh, is often a little unbelievable but I think that's okay um and and I think they're constantly building up to the next season while trying to have you forget about the last season uh it's it's a show and and so organizing during election season means you're you're dealing with an absurd system at its most absurd um you're dealing with a a, a system that that is run by money that is is throwing as many smoke bombs in the air as it possibly can uh, to get you to continue to validate that system you know, through the election process. Um, elections are extremely important, the consequences are extremely real. Uh, but you know, we are not, our, our, enemy is not one party or the other, which is the way election season often tries to make people feel, uh, that, that your enemy is the other party, um, or here in Pennsylvania, they're trying to make you feel like the enemy is black people in Philadelphia. There's just been a a string of racist ads, uh, for, for a while now. Um, you know, they're, they're trying to other some group, somebody to, to blame all the problems on. Um, and, and that's not how we organize at all. Um, we're not organizing from a a left version. Versus right, Republican versus Democrat, conservative versus liberal. We're not trying to triangulate all of those and find some space in the middle uh, either. We're, we're moral fusion organizing. We're, we're organizing across all lines of division, and we're organizing a, a working class movement to challenge ruling class domination over our political system. Um, you know, the, the top uh, Democrat in the country, the top Democrats and the top Republicans have more in common with each other than either does with their own voters. Um, uh, Nancy Pelosi has more in common with Ted Cruz than either one does with, with anybody who will vote for them. Um, and, and so we try to really break down all of those lines of division that election season works really hard to put up. Uh, and, and it's it's frustrating to, to deal with this nonsense. Um, uh, the, the media hype, the candidates, the money that just pumps us full of, of crap all day um it, it, it's constantly geared toward uh, uh promising you that if you know if, if your team wins and their team loses everything is going to be great um, but that's just not how it works when your entire political system is responsive to systemic bribery uh, you, you got to take care of the systemic bribery you can't just keep expecting a different result from a rotten system
1: but but you know it's still or or i i'd love for you to kind of get a little bit more into the weeds about how you Try to refocus attention onto the longer-term issues of of the institution with all that money sloshing around. Because you know, is it one of those things where it's even is is it possible? Or or you know, because part part of me is like, why don't you just take a three-month break and come back in 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 you know in in December? But of course, that's not the answer, right? But it's it, there's not a lot of media space. Um, where there's not a lot of attention span for voters, uh, for you know, state legislative politics and, and certainly v- voting policies uh, when kind of the – everything is already so saturated. And, and, and moreover, I think you alluded to this, right, that election season fuels kind of what, what political scientists call affective polarization, the kind of the, the outgroup hostility, right? So while you're trying to bring people together, I mean election seasons are the perfect time where kind of affective polarization is at its highest where we see people of the other party as outgroups, and therefore different, and therefore we express hostility to outgroups. Um, And so I I don't envy it, right? Like, I I genuinely don't envy the kind of the trying to organize in a state where there's $130 million of outside money that's probably, you know, I don't have the numbers, but probably overwhelmingly negative. Um, Really just kind of really saturating every commercial break with,
0: with really negative vibes, and hollow nonsense it's so hollow there's no substance there's no policy there's no issues it doesn't mean anything
1: well it's 30 seconds they're 30 second ads they're not supposed to be about substance right and i think that's that's one of one of the problems right i mean there are many problems
0: they have nothing substantive to say because the only thing substantive they can say are things that their donors would stop giving them money for. You know, what's what's the solution to low wages? Raise wages. Well, your donors aren't going to like that, so you can't say that. So, okay, what do you say? Well, your 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 neighbor who looks different than you is the problem. Be afraid of them. It's it's such crap, isn't it? It's just such crap.
1: So, how do you manage it? What what are you doing? Like, how how are you? What is your, what is your plan for the next kind of? 3 to well now next month but kind of next month to to 5 months as you kind of cope with organizing during an election season and and then you know trying to navigate post election season which is also gearing up to be contentious as well because now you know one party is is actively denying election results and is under is is preparing the ground to to yeah, you, you usurp office if, if it doesn't go their way. And so it's a very fraught time on top of kind of the ordinary circus of election season in a swing state. And your job is to try and navigate that. And that's very challenging.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, and our job, you know, to, to get back to earlier in the conversation is to present a vision of democracy that that is better than the vision of, of authoritarianism and fascism that that's coming from Uh, pretty scary places um and and so during election season our our job is to kind of point out what it could be um you know we point out the absurdity and the contradictions in in the system everything gravitates toward money the guy with the gold makes the rules etc uh and 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 talk about what what a democracy could accomplish you know if it wasn't such a clown car full of absurd uh buffoonery um that that's masquerading and, and it's just a facade for for just greed and and, and uh, oppression and systemic theft um you know we we could build a great world and so the the goal during election season uh for march on harrisburg organizationally is to kind of start building into the next session um you know we we made our, our last big push on, on September 12th. And then uh, from that, we went into reflection mode, debrief mode. Um, and, and we've been crafting our plan for the next two years, uh, you know, over the last few weeks. And then that'll continue for another few weeks. Um, we're, we're building up a school internally to better structure our, our leadership development and our curriculum. Um, we're planning to to uh, crisscross the state and on and, and a barnstorming tour. Adam, we're going barnstorming again. Uh, uh, late spring uh, of next year, um, you know, we're, we're, we're charting out kind of what the future holds um, and, and and taking this time to build up our internal infrastructure, to, to build up our, our movement strength and our organizing, knowing that there's going to, of course, be mobilizations and fights in, in, in the new year, um, because no matter who wins this election, uh, no matter which office, um, the fight stays the same, which is trying to create a government of by and for the people. Uh, and and that's what our deadline is. It's not an, any electoral cycle or any election. Our deadline is democracy. Our our deadline is justice. It's it's peace. Um, and and so we just try to tune out the the electoral nonsense. Try to keep everybody as as educated and informed on on the absurdity that it is. Um, and and get ready to to keep pushing. Um, knowing that, of course, they're not even passing laws now. I mean, all, all they're doing in, in the legislature is just political stunts uh, for for electoral purposes. My God, the, the week that, that we were there, September 12th, they passed. They had 17 total votes over those three session days, and they held 20 campaign fundraisers. I mean, that, 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 that's what they're doing. You know? <laughs> that, that, that's what the season is. So nothing's going to pass now anyway.
1: Now that's 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 very helpful um you know I'll, I'll just conclude Michael with with kind of a simple question which is all right we started with fear we kind of talked about how you cope with fear but but what gives you hope what what, what is it about all of this stuff right I mean there's a way to read our conversations or listen to our conversation rather um that is kind of bleak this is kind of a little bit bleaker than I wanted it to be Michael I wanted it to be a little more jovial but I guess I started it off on the wrong foot um, talking about fear, uh, but, but I think there is a way to read our conversation that is, is trying to grapple with some of the issues that we do in an effort to, to make us stronger uh, as, as we go into the kind of the next phases of, of this fight for democracy. And so what what is it that keeps you grounded? What what, what keeps you hopeful?
0: My, my hope comes from the work, um, not, not to keep falling back on it, but, but the work really is the antidote to fear, and it really is the, the source of hope. Um, when, when you're doing the work with good people, pushing in the right direction, uh, you, you're confident in your tactics, you, you see the strategy, you can get to the, the to the finish line, you can see the, the road to victory, um, that, that, that fills you with hope. It, it really is just getting into the arena, just getting into the fight, overcoming all of the obstacles that keep us all from doing that. Um, you know, so many of those are just mental and, and many are physical as well. Uh, and and just diving in. I mean that that that's where the hope comes from. Um, the, the hope comes from success that we've had. Uh, we're we're winning. You know, there, there's no doubt that that we're we're we get further every session with certain bills. We've passed other bills already. The movement keeps growing. The chapters keep growing. The working groups keep growing. The number of bills that we can fight in any one time keeps growing. The capacity of the Poor People's Campaign, which we're a part of, keeps growing. Um, we're we're it's movement season. We're we're building up to something here. You know, this is as as Reverend William. Bar- Barber says this is the third Reconstruction era. Um, hi- History is on the upswing right now for us. You know we're we're confident that uh, yeah. if we organize and if we fight, we'll we'll win. And, and it really all comes down to that. Um, the the future is not written. It's 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 in our hands. Uh, and I have faith in in our tactics, faith in the organizing, and, and that's where the hope comes from. Um, you know, Adam, uh, uh, if if the old phrase is first they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. Um, they're they're done laughing're they're, they're not laughing anymore in Harrisburg they're they're fighting uh so soon enough we we shall win um you know if, if if there's a new hope and then the Empire strikes back well after that the the Jedi return you know you, you come back and, and you win um so we've we've seen the Empire strike back and uh confident oh we're confident that Pharaoh is not God and uh we shall win.
1: Uh, I I couldn't agree more, Michael. Um, you know, one of the things I think about is, you know, when we met for the first time in 2016. You know, I, I think that we'd be very satisfied with how far the democracy democracy movement has come, and and there's plenty more ways that we can get stronger. We've talked about many of them. Um, but you're right. I mean, every year we grow stronger, and every year, you know, there's more and more backlash, but uh, we persevere, and and the movement does go stronger, even if if there are times where or it's hard to, to not be so fearful, but, uh, when we organize together, uh, that's how we get through it. And, and I think that's the real, the real takeaway from this conversation today, Michael. Um, so, you know, maybe not exactly the direction I thought we'd go today, but this was, this was a very cathartic uh, conversation, Michael. I never know where our conversations will go and, and, uh, I'll have to have you back on soon. This has been another episode of Another Way. I'll see you next time.